The Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's episode, we have Dr. Brian Saltzman. Dr. Saltzman is an Associate Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Atrium Health in Charlotte. He practices sports medicine. He is also the head team physician of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte 49ers, and we're going to have a discussion today on orthobiologics. Good morning, Dr. Saltzman, and thanks for being here today. Yes, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Dr. Saltzman, when we talk about orthobiologics, I know there are many treatments, and in in preparation for this, i got to say I went back and reviewed your talk for us in Charlotte in 2019. I know there are many treatments that fall under the category, but in general, when I think of orthobiologic, I think of the visco supplementation, PRP, and stem cell. What am I missing? What are the other types of orthobiologics that are out there, whether they've been around for a while or whether they're new? Yeah, and largely that's that's the spectrum of what I look at as well. I think visco supplementation is a little bit on the outskirts of what we think of when we talk cell-based therapy, but I do include it in that cortisone injection plus type of discussion. And so my, my spectrum falls along what you have highlighted, which is visco supplementation and platelet-rich plasma beginning to be the autologous treatment that comes from the patient as opposed to something in, inside of a syringe and ready to use. And then you get into those discussions of the truly cell-based therapy topics where stem cells become a part of the process, and that's in the bone marrow aspirate concentrate or BMAC, or the adipose-derived stromal vascular fraction type discussions, the adipose-derived injections coming from the fat. And then you do also have those additional allograft type of injections being the kind of amniotic and umbilical cord-derived injections that get mixed in. But a lot of what I think about with these types of autologous treatments are truly those, the autologous treatments of platelet-rich plasma, bone marrow-based, and then lipid or fat-based injection. Mm-hmm. We're going to touch on a lot of that later and just in general, uh, so our listeners have an outline of how we're going. I do want to ask you a question. So I listened to another talk on orthobiologics, again, getting prepared, and I read some study that injecting saline gave as much relief from placebo effect as some of these treatments. What's your take on that? Yeah, actually, I don't know which, which study it was, but that, that was my study back in 2017 in, in American Journal of Sports Medicine that we looked at that in a meta-analysis format. We ended up having somewhere around 10 studies or so of, of these good level one studies looking at neoarthritic patients who had some degree of treatment being hyaluronic acid or corticosteroid injection or some of the cell-based therapies in comparison with intraarticular normal saline. And the normal saline we've used all these years and thought of as a placebo-controlled type of an experimental process. But what we found when we looked at those cohorts, which was over a 1,000 patients, if I remember correctly, that they actually met statistical and clinically significant through MCID, through, through some of those minimal clinically important differences, for VAS scores and WOMAC scores at three months, I think, for VAS, and then at six months for both WOMAC and VAS scores for the, for the you know, theoretically placebo-controlled saline-only injection. And so what that says is, it says a couple of things. The first question being, does saline have some kind of a therapeutic effect? And there's some thought out there that maybe there's a dilutional effect to some of the leukotrienes and interleukins within the knee, some of those inflammatory-type mediators. Are we diluting them when we put in the saline? And, uh, and does that cause some bit of a response? The, the other idea is, did we really have the full understanding of what the placebo effect could do? We know that it's a real phenomenon, 
but what we're seeing here is is something that is real from a, a clinically significant standpoint. And so when we're looking at these treatments and we're comparing them to something that is actually a real phenomenon, which is either placebo effect or again, the idea that saline is doing something biologically into the knee, are we getting a true and good assessment against a control group? And so it was kind of an interesting thing to see, but I, I think we don't fully have elucidated the idea of whether saline is therapeutic or just is this an objectification of how much placebo plays a role in us as human beings? Mm -hmm. It's it's just fascinating to think about that. I'd love to talk to you more about that. We talked about the three, I guess, I don't want to say big ones, but the three that you and I look at, viscose stem cell and PRP. And I think most of our listeners really have a lot of experience with viscose uh, and have given them. And I I don't want to spend a lot of time because there's so much stuff out there on that. Just a couple of questions on it. Do you use it in your practice? And if you do, do you find a difference in benefit from visco and the PRP stem cell? And I'm sure a lot of it depends on the situation, but just curious what your practice, uh, what your personal experience is. I, I do use visco supplementation in practice. I, I kind of find myself using it as a second line therapy after cortisone injection has failed in the setting of you know early to moderate osteoarthritis processes. Uh, in particular, where I think that the visco supplementation has been shown to, to have an effect. I think of it kind of as an anti-inflammatory property of effects that I think is particularly valuable. I know we we really used to and originally thought that it was truly a, a you know a visco injection, a visco supplementation to help like an oil change inside the knee is how I describe it to patients. And I think it does have a bit of that effect, but it also has some degree of effect as a as a reduction to the inflammatory mediators within the knee. There was a meta-analysis I helped write in, in arthroscopy a couple of years ago in 15 or 16 that that looked at it from all the information that was out preceding and found that it looked to be a viable option for, for knee arthritis in terms of knee pain and function with results up to six months or so and an obviously good safety profile. But that study also looked at in comparison with PRP and, and kind of highlighted what I feel anecdotally, which is that it might be a little bit less robust results in comparison with PRP, but I typically will offer it first in the correct clinical setting just because of the cost difference where visco supplementation or hyaluronic acid injections are covered by insurance and, and largely speaking, the PRP injections are not. And so with that cost difference that's there, I think the hyaluronic acid as it continues to be covered, at least currently, uh, has definitely a role in the algorithm of how to, to treat these types of, um, in particular, you know, knee arthritic conditions or, or non-operative pathologies. Certainly, again, this I say this knowing full well that the AOS, our academy, is, is currently against the use of viscous supplementation for knee arthritis, but I do think there's enough data out there, my own included, to feel like the safety profile is good. There's research to support its use in some situations, and anecdotally, I, I seem to have uh, some results that kind of fall in line with that, too. So it might not meet the MCID in certain studies to be clinically important differences, but anecdotally speaking, I, I do think it works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I remember when it first came out and you had to give it from a medial patellofemoral approach and you had to, you couldn't use so much local and several things and a lot of brands are out now and a lot of different ways of administering it. And, you know, without stepping on anyone's toes, I certainly don't want to do that. But a recent debate at my practice was about three injections versus one injection of visco. And anecdotally, I have always found the three works better than the one. Do you find any difference or do you think it matters? I'll tell you, we have this same talk, myself and my partners, in particular because in 
in our institute, there's been some discussions about, from a proprietary standpoint, whether there's patient ease and well as well as cost that's different between the the series of you know weekly three injections versus the one injection as a standalone. Largely, there's some concerns with uh, with also some of my partners who have been doing it for a lot longer than I have. That anecdotally, there's there's seems to be an occasional concern with an inflammatory type response to the single injection. I remember when we talked about this a number of months ago as we were looking at it as a center, I couldn't find any good high-scale evidence to kind of discuss that, but there's certainly reports of that out there. I think that there is the possibility with the higher volume with the single viscal supplementation injection without getting into the proprietary names of them, but I do think there is a potential for it to maybe have a, a slightly higher likelihood to cause that sort of local inflammatory post-injection response. But from the literature and anecdotally, I don't know how much of that relates then to the ultimate results of the injection and whether there's a, a significant difference or not. But we definitely have that same discussion here as individuals in our practice. Mm-hmm. Well, great. This is great stuff and a great start. I wanted to spend time talking about PRP, stem cell therapy, and the future of orthobiologics because I think it's just a fascinating area to talk about. I think most of our listeners understand there are options for managing musculoskeletal conditions, but I don't think that everyone really understands the process of how we use PRP and stem cell. And I'd like to, in general, just discuss what they are, how it works, and what the indications are. And we'd like to start with PRP. So if we do start with that, uh, what is it? How does it work? PRP, right, is platelet-rich plasma. And so the idea is it's an autologous treatment where you're doing a venipuncture, a, a blood draw from the antecubital fossa to, to pull out blood, a number of cc's of it that you can then spin down with the centrifuge and spin it out until you get those levels of red blood cells and the platelet pore plasma. And then at the bottom there, the, the value in those platelets that aggregate because they're a bit heavier. And so what you're left with then in that platelet-rich plasma that gets drawn out is a, a concentrate of platelets that is somewhere between three to, to usually five times that of baseline peripheral concentrations of platelets. And, and technically to be platelet-rich plasma, it needs to hit that threshold. You activate it then with thrombin or calcium chloride that causes the platelets to degranulate. How I, how I describe it to my patients is I, I think of those little alpha granules that hold all these growth and differentiation factors as little food-filled sacks that pop when you activate them and they get injected into a, a site of interest. And then these things deliver these cytokines, the platelet-derived growth factors, TGF, fibroblast growth factors, VEGF, insulin-like growth factors, all of these kind of milieu in physiologic relevant proportions to try and help produce some kind of an effect in the knee. And the idea there is, is that these it's a relatively low risk. It's been shown to be very safe. It's your own blood. It's autologous. And, and so may avoid some of the downfalls of cortisone injections, like weakening of, uh, of, of tendons or muscle areas, or the concerns with increased levels of cortisone being potentially contratoxic. And the basic science supports that these cytokines are found in the relevant healing stages of inflammation and cellular proliferation. Matrix synthesis, you know, new vascularization as new blood vessels are formed to, to try and remove debris, bring in new healthy cells, and the tissue remodeling processes. So the basic science supports it, and that's where this all bore out of as they then, you know, as we start studying these in animal models and going into humans with, uh, with again, the idea of, of pro or anti-inflammatory properties that these could exhibit. The thing to mention with this that I always tell patients, too, is it gets looped into frequently 
the discussion of cell-based therapy or stem cell therapy. But PRP is it's just the platelets from your blood concentrates. So it does not have stem cells. It's more that that environment that it helps to create where it's injected that we think is uh, responsible for its effects as opposed to, you know, being a mesenchymal stem cell that's being injected. And you had also mentioned previously that everyone needs to understand that these are considered experimental by insurance and typically not covered. So your patient's going to have a, a pretty good bill out of pocket. I mean, what, you know, without getting overly detailed, how much would someone expect to pay for something like this? Yeah, and and I think and I think it's fair to talk about. You know, it's a it's a reality in the way that we use these treatments to have that be a part of the discussion for patients. And so, for our institution, similar to a lot of institutions out there, we try to be a, appropriate in our costs of these things and universal as a practice, so that there's not individual practitioners that are trying to, you know trying to use more or less costs uh, for patients. So certainly, we are universalized in our costs of these. But but leukocyte poor platelet-rich plasma, I think for us, is around the $500 mark out of pocket. Leukocyte-rich platelet-rich plasma in the office costs $800 or so. And the bone marrow aspirate or adipose-derived, depending on where it's done in, you know, in the hospital or the clinical setting or the outpatient surgical center, those are going to run somewhere between $2,000 and $3,000. And again, these these things are all dependent on where it's done, what the practice is set up, or, or what the, you know, the surgical facility has has set up. And, and ideally, they're somewhat standardized across the board, but Certainly, there is some variation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have patients that you know, no matter what, we got to try everything. I don't want to have the knee replacement or something. So keep it in mind. It's really, I mean, it's an expensive treatment, but for the right patient and the right condition, I think it's great. Dr. Saltzman, I certainly appreciate you being with us for the podcast. Great stuff and a great start. And we plan on having three episodes, so we just wanted to get started with this. Join us next week when we have a discussion regarding the difference between high and low leukocyte or white blood cell concentrations in the PRP. Dr. Saltzman previously presented a talk on orthobiologics at the PAOS Charlotte Conference in 2019. The recording of this talk is on the PAOS Learning Center under CME. Non-members can purchase the content on the AAPA Learning Center for Category 1 CME.